Network. Hi, this is Stephen Turek from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Ego, the 80s geek out. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 11 of Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast. My name is Ian Clark, and I'm joined, as always, by the shadow on the door of a cottage on the shore to my dark Scottish lake, Mr. A. Bradford Anderson. Brad, how are you today? Well played, good sir. (laughs) I thought you'd appreciate that one. Well, that was just an 80s reference beyond an 80s reference there. (laughs) Thank you. I am well. Um, Doing okay. We're in our little pocket of San Diego currently. We're... Holding out as long as we can before we get completely engulfed in flames, but so far so good uh, on the not being raised to the ground. Yeah, is it, I mean, what's because I've checked in with a couple other friends that I have in California in in various parts of the state, and I know the air quality is poor. Obviously, we've seen the post-apocalyptic looking skies of orange and red. I mean, for you, what's um. What's what's it been like there? What's strange? Luckily enough, here in San Diego, the air quality because I think we're so close to the ocean. Where I am in in Pacific Beach is very close to the ocean. Not having to super worry about air quality. I mean, the middle of last week, there was definitely you could smell some of the smokiness in the air, and there was definitely white ash that was falling. And I was like, why is nobody talking about what is going on here? I mean, you can visibly see the fire in the east, which I think is. The, it's, I think it's being called the Valley Fire, um, and fortunately or not, the smoke or the way the wind was has been carrying the majority of the smoke in the atmosphere. It's been taking it north of San Diego, closer to looks like above maybe the Del Mar area and Sanita. So it's kind of making a corridor north of where I am. So air quality wise, it's not too bad, thank God. Um, but I like I like you have contacted several friends up and down the California coast as well as you know in other part in other states in Oregon and Washington yeah. State and they're telling me you know they're not even very close they're like the the nearest fire is maybe 20 miles away but the air quality because of the nature of where they are either in a valley or whatnot it's terrible and they're mm-hmm. trying to stay inside and with air filters to try to avoid as much of the intake of the, of the, just the, the bad air. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's crazy. Uh, and then now it looks like there's like tropical storms headed toward the Eastern part or like New Orleans, Texas area. It's, it's, it's all, it's, it's right. just 2020. It's right. just 2020. It's, 2020. it's what the humans don't do to themselves. Mother nature <laughs> will, will come in and do the cleanup and then destroy it even further. So yeah, she's, yeah. she's very good at coming in, at the best and worst possible times. And I, and I didn't realize this. I, I, I know every year we get wildfires out here, usually not usually through human stupidity. Um, uh, but occasionally, you know, mother nature has her hand in it, you know, through a, a lightning strike or something. Sure. But, um, I, I'm just surprised that, um, that the, the like the, the, the volume of fires, cause I, I, yeah. I looked at it and we're not even actually in fire season yet. Apparently I think it's start, it's supposed to be starting technically, but we're at a point where, you know, I, I pulled up a, a graphic today of West coast fires and, it, and everything from where we are here in San Diego, all the way up to 
uh, the border um, uh, in the great Northwest. And in California has like, looks like 22 fires that are currently documented. And severity wise, it's much worse up north than it is where we are down here. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tapping my fingers and, 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 and praying that, you know, it, it doesn't encroach any further. I and mean, we do have some major landmass barriers, including roadways that could protect us. But let's, you know, it's, as I said before, it's getting pretty dystopian, and <laughs> and what you've seen from the the photos up in San Francisco, it's pretty much Blade Runner uh, there yeah. in LA right now. So yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, fortunately over here, you know, we don't have any of that to deal with. We'll see if we get any of these um, tropical storms. They they will occasionally turn up towards the New England area, but but usually right. we're pretty fortunate with that. But um, my kids are back in school. They're in school two days and remote three days um okay. my older son you know he's playing football they're still progressing uh, towards having a season they've they've taken precautions with certain things the face masks have a, a clear shield over the front um oh, things like that everything geographically they'll play more games uh closer to home to prevent you know to cut down on travel so sure. fingers crossed that he gets to play his senior season but um yeah. other than that we're good we are, um, oh, there's a possibly a bonus for you today, Brad. We'll see what happens. But uh, we are renovating the basement. Because of that, I am up in my bedroom, which means you might you might get an on-screen visit for, sorry for the listeners because it's not a video podcast, but Brad might get the bonus of seeing the cat if the cat comes comes to sit with me. She's sleeping on the bed right now. So awesome. We'll, I want to we'll see her emerge from the... <laughs> the visual that I see here in front of me. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll see if she makes an appearance. Um, I talked to my mom earlier and, uh, the, the cat was laying on my lap. So I was like, Oh, if, if she comes over here, Brad will like that. Cause I know you like to make friends with the kitties on your, uh, on your bike adventures. I do. I do. All right. So today's topic, we're, we're doing something a little outside the box, but it's still very much fits into what we do and what we want the, the show to be. And my reference, uh, the open of the show was a little bit of a nod to what we're doing. We are going to talk about unexplained phenomena that captured our imagination when we were kids. Now, some of this stuff will be, you know, predating the 80s TV shows or things like that. And uh, although I, I think the big part of it is a lot of this stuff was still in syndication or shown on you know Saturday afternoon. So a ton of this stuff was very prevalent in the 80s. And the, the ideas and topics themselves were certainly a big part of the 80s. So so that's kind of where we're at with this. Or the, the unexplained phenomena stuff, you know, we're starting to get towards spooky season here with Halloween. So we thought this would be a fun thing to talk about. And uh, next month we're going to do a movie uh, review. But uh, Brad and I thought this would be fun because he and I both have, have always had an interest in this type of stuff. And... Uh, Certainly as a kid, I just remember these things really capturing my imagination and I would I would take books out of the library and I would just devour anything I could on these topics. And I, I get the feeling that you're the same way when it comes to the unexplained type stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny you say about the library because the Skowhegan Public Library remarkably had a lot of good older books that we could take out and learn on subject matter. And I'm and even just talking about the, the, our, our public library in Skowhegan, I can actually remember the, the very distinct smell of what an old book smells like. <laughs> sure. so, and, you know, and, and that was a great resource because he obviously, when we were kids, the internet wasn't in existence and we had very limited uh, amount of sources to be able to get information on things that intrigued us or scared us or made us, you know, 
kind of fear what kind of what goes on, you know, what goes bump in the night. But the library was a really good resource. And I remember taking out quite a few books on unexplained creatures, you know, creatures. And I'm, and even to this day, I'm still fascinated and I do research and follow up on any time anywhere around the world there is a notification or an uh, obscure picture that pops up online of a, cre- a creature or a beast that the local populations claim exists, but the average person in the world doesn't necessarily believe um, is living. Um, I will do as much research into it to try to debunk it or you know get the best you know perspective and and viewpoint that I can. Um, other than that, it's just absolutely fascinating. I, I, I firmly believe things do exist beyond what our natural sight lines see uh, on a daily basis, and um, I'm very thankful that there's a lot of modern-day TV series, especially on the Nat, Nat Geo and you know the, all everything that Josh Gates does with um, you know Destination Truth and Expedition Unknown, following up on a lot of these. Um, uh, things that science and the mainstream world has not actually seen or embraced, you know, in the creature feature world. Yeah. And maybe that's a good place to start because I think, uh, cause you touched on just the mysterious creatures and as much as all the other stuff interests me, I don't think, especially going back to my childhood, I don't think anything intrigued me more than Bigfoot. Absolutely. So, yeah, so so why don't we start there? I just remember, and again, this goes back to those Saturday mornings, and we talked about it. I can't remember if we talked about it um, before we were recording or or during the recording uh, last one of the last episodes we did. But you and I talked about how on those either late at night on a Friday or a Saturday or Saturday afternoon after cartoons were done and news was done and hee haw and all that stupid shit that was on. After that, there would be. A, like just random movies. Sometimes it would be, you know, a standard type of movie. But every once in a while, you would catch these documentary-style, unexplained movies. And I remember there was a, a Bigfoot one. I think it was called Sasquatch and, like, Legend and yeah. or something. Anyway, but um, I, I don't remember the exact name. But you would just hope and pray that one of these cool movies would come on and you could watch it because, again – no internet, no no ability. That was the only time you got to see like the famous Patterson Gimlin Bigfoot footage, and you would just it would be on screen for just seconds, and you would just try and study it and, and catch as much of it as you could, and um, so that's where I first remember hearing about Bigfoot was was watching one of these just out of the blue on a Saturday afternoon, and you were you were a little bit more again not a there are no real big cities in the state of Maine, right. you were in a more urban environment than I was. I was literally in the woods. I lived at yeah. the end of a dead end road that I had to the bus couldn't. Even even come down to pick me up i had to walk out like almost a mile to to the end of the road to catch the bus i was and i was on the water i was in the middle of the woods so bigfoot not only fascinated me but scared the shit out of me because it's like i live where this thing could easily live yeah absolutely and being in skowhegan you know my folks we had a lot of wooded property and a lot of places to explore and a lot of spaces for things of this you know this creature magnitude to be hiding and we also my folks had a camp up in in uh in between heartland and harmony maine again on a lake uh surrounded by trees on a dirt road you know neighbors are there but they're the woods are so thick and dense in between you can't necessarily see the cabin next door and you know having done a lot of camping around maine as a kid 
all these things are always in the back of your mind when you're outside. There's no question about it, especially at night when, you know, when creatures and predators and things of that nature, bears even for that instance, you know, have a better chance of seeing you before you see them. So, yeah, I, I like you exactly the same fascination with Bigfoot. Very thankful. It, it, I'd also kind of at, at a little angle. It's one of the few times in my life that I've ever been okay watching a TV show on on TV and having there be commercials because the anticipatory <laughs> build from the segment one commercial to segment two, you're sitting there. You're not going to the bathroom. You're not getting some orange juice or tang as it was back in the day. You're actually sitting there waiting because you don't want to miss a second of the commentary, um, the the antiquated video footage, you know, the old videotape footage. Um, you wanted it's and and we couldn't get enough of, of the of the information that we could pull in and I think you know certainly Bigfoot for the state of Maine living in where we both grew up was a just an incredible environment because of what surrounded us and what we didn't know surrounded us in the woods um, helps build up that fascination but also fear yeah yeah for sure and. Uh, you know, we, when we were kids exploring the woods and everything, you would always, you know, kind of it, it was that interesting juxtaposition where it's like, oh, man, how cool would it be if I found a track? And then there's the other part of be like, I don't want this thing living anywhere near me. <laughs> right. Right. No. I mean, you, my God, it's like, well, we have the campsite over here, a stream over here. And my God, why is there a, you know, 14 inch foot mark <laughs> on this riverbed? Like, no, I, I was the exact same way. It was the anticipation of, oh, let's go to the stream and check out, you know, the running water. And then kind of looking, but not really wanting to find. It's like that. Yeah, yeah, I believe in ghosts. Oh, my God. It's all fun and games until you actually encounter <laughs> one, which right, right. we obviously didn't want to encounter a Bigfoot, you know, <laughs> crouching over a riverbed just looking up. It's, you know, I've seen enough bears in the wild, which is enough of a, a shocker and fear. You don't want to see a, a somewhat mythical creature that no one is really able to be really well document, you know, looking over at you from across the, the riverbed. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I and I, I really enjoyed the documentary style uh, features that we would see once in a while. We'll talk about in search of as well. Yeah. But the the first one that legitimately scared me was the Legend of Boggy Creek, and that was another one I remember distinctly the very first time I saw it. So it came out in 1972. Um, one of the first low like independent films that made a ton of money, very low budget, made with a lot of the same people that actually had these experiences down in Falk, Arkansas. So super low budget and just became like a drive-in and late night movie sensation and made millions of dollars after being made for almost nothing. And I caught this one day. It's a Saturday afternoon. Just like I was saying, Saturday afternoon, this comes on. I'm like, this looks amazing. Uh, and I remember distinctly my, I was probably, I'm going to say probably 10 10, 12, somewhere around that time where you're first starting to be left on your own, you know, right. at home for, for periods of time. My parents went in, like, you know, probably went into Skowhegan for groceries or something like that. I'm alone for a couple hours. I watch this. I cannot wait for them to come home because I am terrified. <laughs> because as low budget as that movie is, they are very smart because they obviously don't have a real high tech, you know, creature suit they show you glimpses they 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 do it very a really smart way and that really ups the ante for for how unnerving it is and just some of the 
some of the stories are really scary like especially at the end when there's like an assault on like a cabin where where a bunch of families live and one of yeah. like the creature reaches through the you know the window and yeah 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 that just scared the shit out of me as a kid and um i've watched that movie a ton of times it's obviously it's very much a product of its time. There's even almost like a there's like a, a song in the middle of it that's like about one of the I mean, it's got all this bizarre stuff, but it's also still very unnerving. And I, I still actually enjoy watching it once in a while. Yeah, no, it's that's a a great like as you said, low budget film. And you the you, you struck the, the main point because of the low technology access that they had, it's the I think that's also the mark of any good horror film is you don't actually get to see the creature. It's the less the, is more, less is more the threat, the shadow, the, the acknowledgement. What is that smell? I mean, because, because <laughs> yeah. one of the things with um, Bigfoot is the supposed uh, odor, yeah. putrid odor stench that comes off of it from just having existed out in nature, uh, its entire uh, lifespan. Um, and the just, that in itself, I mean, and those are the things, too, that when you're out camping or hiking as a kid, you're thinking, you know, it's you want to see it, like we said before, but you don't want to see it. But you also don't want to see something off to your right that could be it and then have it not wanting to go further on the trail because it's like, <laughs> right. there's something standing behind that tree. I mean, it doesn't look like a bear. And in a lot of these modern you know, documentaries, which I think are some of the, the best ways of presenting these these hunts for these kind of, you know, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, crypto, Crypt- cri- crypto- cryptics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is uh, to do a documentary style because the documentary style, you're getting the firsthand information so you as the viewer can determine how credible you believe the person to be. And that's always important because, you know, occasionally – some of these um, videos, if they're not done, if the documentaries are not done all too well, you will get someone who you think is an absolute crackpot. It's not yeah. somebody who has is, is plausible in the yeah, story. Some credibility but, to them. Yeah, the credibility. But then you get the 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 uh, older couple who's driving down the roadway at night and it stops in front of them in their headlights and they're mortified. You know that type of credible story versus. One I saw, I don't know, this was a couple of years ago, of a, a woman who basically was having a conversation with it. I'm like, oh. yes, it's probably. I think I've seen that woman. She claimed yeah. that it would it would come and ask her for for various items from the yes. house. And, right, and I'm yeah. thinking she's doing a lot of dr- mushrooms because. You know, <laughs> yeah. Whereas all, a lot of them, the majority of the other people are catching it off guard. It's like it always seems to be at the most um, unexpected time. You're on a roadway, yeah. you're on a trail, you're camping and something passes right by the behind the fire. And so yeah. those types of things, especially for the Bigfoot uh, genre of the hunt and, and so forth. And I also think too, you know, when we were watching these um, documentaries as kids and even the movies, it's, you know, this hulking creature. I mean, we know the size that, that bears are, you know, we, we you know, we, we learn those fairly early on, especially in Maine with, you know, black bears and, and brown bears and so forth. But then you learn as you go across the country and see stuff, you know, grizzly bears, Kodak bears, much larger in size. But this thing is an upright hominid to some degree. And you are fascinated by a, a seven to nine foot beast that is elusive and is always watching, but you're not always there to see it. And that, that, yeah. that in itself, I think adds a lot more 
to this particular creature's awe uh, as a human being. Like, I really want to encounter it, but as we all know, we don't want to fully encounter it. So. <laughs> Right. And I, you know, it, it, I think it gets tougher as you get older and more time goes by and there, and there isn't, you know, that 100% concrete evidence. So it, it does become harder to believe, but at the same time, I, I still like the idea that, cause I don't think it's anything. There are theories that it's like supernatural and yes. pops in from dimensions. I don't, yes. I don't buy any of that. I think to me, Same. if this thing exists, which I want to believe it does, it's just an undocumented primate that is intelligent enough and self-sufficient enough to stay far away from humanity. Right. And, um, you know, we have these occasional incidental um, contacts, but there's always a couple of things. There are two arguments that I've always heard that, that are interesting to me. One is that there is way more proof for the existence of Bigfoot than there is for God and for the yeah. existence of God. Yeah. And B, and B, if Bigfoot was on trial and you had all the evidence, it would be a slam dunk case. Like it would be case closed yes. There's because there's enough good evidence. And, and again, a huge percentage of stuff would be hoaxes, yes. misidentification, saw something right. wasn't really what they thought it was right. that I, I absolutely believe a massive, massive majority of incidents would, would fall into those categories. But I also think there are some unbelievably compelling stories that make no sense except for there to be this this creature actually in existence. Yeah, and that's and I think that's why it makes it so fascinating because yeah, like a lot of stuff can be debunked. You know, you get the people who pull the the you know the the asshole move of trying to hoax it, and that you know it seems good. You know, the camera footage, as anyone who is listening knows like 99% of every camera footage is caught at an extreme distance and yeah. it's a wobbly moving camera. And yeah. in today's time when people with cell phones, you gotta like brace your arm or people with GoPros on their bodies. I mean, I, we just want in this world a modern day video capture of something. And yeah, there's there's been a few more recent documentaries that I've, I've been fortunate to watch over the last you know um, couple of months where there is some really good footage and it's close-ups at a distance. So you're seeing kind of mostly not the entire body, but the face behind you know, or in between two crossed, you know, fallen logs. And you see the eye blink and it looks like a pretty legit, it doesn't look like there's an eye behind a mask like a lot of right. times well done makeup can do. This thing looks like it's observing and not like, you know, uh, a human observing. This will look like a wild feral animal that is not a bear but has a very oversized kind of slightly gorilla styled head, but it's in the middle of the Pacific Northwest where typically you're not going to get a gorilla hanging out um, in right. the woods. Yeah. And I think that in itself, um, you know, in, but I, to your point, which I, I absolutely agree with the longer we go on in life without any more full documentation, because you know, the, the occurrences are, a lot of them are documented. Uh, a lot of them are not communicated to the world. Like, ooh, a, yes. a potential Bigfoot sighting. So there's a lot of localized things that are happening beyond any of our knowledge because it ne never gets makes it to the news or the web. But there are communities out there that have regular occurrences. And and a lot of these townsfolk, because they are, in fact, townsfolk, believe in these creatures passing through their, their neighborhoods or in through their backyards or in you know through their campsites that we just – don't get to hear about and those are the ones right. I'm, I'm most curious about is the one the localized things not the 
larger broadcast ones um, because it's, you know, it, it's, I want to believe so badly in this that it has been able to elude most of humanity and is like, as you said, intelligent enough to stay just out of reach visually and physically of humanity, but to, but enough to be able to be caught on film on occasion or heard or hitting the logs like they do to communicate their, yeah. their, their um, being upset with humans being in their habitat. So, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, I think uh, I think it's safe to say we could do a whole show on Bigfoot, but we, we do want to touch on some other stuff. So let's uh, yeah, let's, we do. <laughs> let's, let's move to the next. Um, so I think probably number two for me. Actually, why don't we do this? Why don't we go since this is another creature type thing? Um, Loch Ness Monster. That was one that, um, you know, again, always fascinated me. You had the famous picture, which has since been debunked the uh the famous doctor's photo um of the neck you know sticking up out of the water that one's been debunked and that one was was proven to be a hoax but um you still occasionally get videos and stuff from Loch Ness but to me this one has always been maybe the least plausible just because you're talking about a finite body of water even as big as Loch Ness is you're still talking about a small space and a creature as big as as Nessie is purported to be It seems unlikely. And, and there are some people that say, oh, it died. It's dead now. And it's so you don't see it. So that right. one's always been one of those where it's like, I think it's a cool idea, but I'm I'm not sure I can necessarily get behind Loch Ness Monster. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, again, another one where you so badly want to believe that there is a sea dragon style monster <laughs> hunting and haunting the loch. But, you know, and I noticed, you know, early on, like some of like the early documentaries back before, you know, major networks were backing scientific investigations where they finally ultimately revealed that there are, you know, channels or, or, or caverns that are run beneath the locks that connect some of the locks in Scotland. I want to believe, but then, you know, then everyone comes out with, with the, uh, with the ascertain, uh, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for, um, th- that they're fish that it's a sturgeon oh, right. yeah. yeah. or a school or like or school yeah. right right and you know and again some of the video footage the amateur footage that they show it's fascinating you know you, you're seeing kind of like what appears to be like a snake's tail but it's never been the magnitude of what um what that initial um uh video which was uh, has been since debunked of the major kind of like you know brontosaurus style head that's you know because yeah. like the like the we want to believe what we're the creature to be what has been shown to us most. You know, we, we, we associate Loch Ness with being kind of a, you know, uh, what do they call them? Plesiosaurs or whatnot with the, yeah, with the flippers and the wide bodies, the long tail and the elongated neck for them to, that's uh, having, having grown up with that image in my, in, you know, kind of ingrained in my brain. That's how I, um, assume i want to see it you know but everything every video that's been you know posted or or every documentary that's you know kind of tried to capture it on film with sonar and everything they never quite you know reach the mark which like which which bodes to the well is it alive now if there was something is it alive could something like this survive this long as you said in in an enclosed ecosystem with a finite food source because if there's a creature that large in that lock you know, there's only a, a certain amount of fish that that you know that will can exist in that space unless people they're dumping food uh, fish um, into that you know, environment. 
that thing would clean that out in probably a very yeah. short period of time. So that also lends a little more credence to the fact that maybe it's not as real as p- people purport it to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's certainly a fun, and and you also have to wonder how much of it is is tourism driven too. You know, if if that area of Scotland wants to keep keep it going for people to visit, and I I don't blame them for that. Oh, that's obviously oh. that's your claim to fame. Um, so yeah, that one that one again one that I I I love as as lore, but you know that one to me is is probably among the least likely. Um, yes, but. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to. Uh, I was going to say before, then I, I, I kind of diverged to, to Loch Ness, but um, I think probably Bigfoot's definitely always been my number one fascination. But I think right there behind it would have to be ghosts. Um, and, and I think part of that is that you know my my grandmother's house, where um, my mom grew up. You know, my mom had a couple stories from there, and other people had stories. And when I was a kid, I remember something. And again, I it's tough because it's so long ago and maybe your memory changes or, or whatever you misremember something. But I, I do have the only memory I have of that house with something happening was being there with my grandmother one day. Um, cause I stayed with her a lot. Like if my mom was working or after school or whatever, when I, cause I, um, I went to school in, in Winslow for the first couple of years. Um, and hearing a smash upstairs, like a vase, something <laughs> massive breaking. Now, my right. grandparents always had cats, so it's like, oh, cat knocks yeah. something over, whatever. We could not find a broken item anywhere in that house. Really? Um, so wow. that that's the only thing I ever had happen there, but I, I just that always captured my imagination. And, you know, you could get cool cool books, again, going back to the library stuff. I would take out stuff on Bigfoot, but, but I would also take out the one on ghosts and... Um, just remember seeing those those pictures, all the famous ones of like um, like the the ghosts. You know, looks like monks going up the stairway, and, and yes. you know that one. Um, the ghost of Raynham Hall. There's the famous ghost of the woman in the back seat of a car. Yep. Um, you know, there there's all these interesting photos that would capture your imagination. So, and ghosts somehow felt like Bigfoot. You could kind of say, yeah, okay, I live in the woods, and and it could maybe live here and I could experience it. But most of these stories are in the Pacific Northwest. So you kind of felt a little bit of a distance, whereas ghosts, it felt like that could be anywhere. So, so that, that, that always scared and intrigued me. Yeah. I mean, with, with ghosts, I would, it's again, like we said earlier, it's one of those things I, I want to, would love for me to validate it through a personal experience, but I really don't want that to happen. (laughs) Um, uh, Because typically from what we know of ghosts, uh, usually the, the reason they, they're sticking around because they're stuck in limbo would be either some, something unfinished business or something terribly traumatic happened to them, which took their life or whatnot. So it's one of those, uh, kind of want to see it, but at a really far distance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, it, and it's funny cause I've never had an experience, but I have, I know I have friends that swear, and these are very intelligent um, very uh, aware people um, who have experienced those cold spots. They've heard like child's laughter that are not in a house. They've yeah, and, and some of them. Uh, my friend Annette, um, she and one of her Irish friends, when they were visiting some relatives over in Ireland, probably in the early days, experienced a ghost in the house, and it, it was a, a document. It was a, a you know, I, I believe a child ghost that lives in the house and you could hear the child's laughter. You could, you know, those types of things. So I, you know, I, 
believe that these things exist, you know, that you would think they would be more prevalent based on, you know, the amount of people that pass on to the to the next level on a daily basis that you would think they would be everywhere all the time. But it seems, you know, specific conditions, you know, located to specific, you know, um, uh, locations, basically. So uh, depending on if they have like a connection to a, a source or a house or a piece of property. But, um, you know, I've I, I believe them. I believe I believe they exist. Um, and that and and most of the ones that we do here aren't ones that are existing in old creaky houses. They're, some of them are in very natural settings of houses that are, you know, our neighbors, you know, that they they are on an urban block and they're two streets over. I mean, it's, it, they're not always these scary, eerie locations and uh, where you wouldn't want to go there for any reason. But they are two houses down and look like every other house on the block. They just have a, a, a spiritual entity that's um, living there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have a couple of personal experiences. I've never seen like a full body apparition or anything where I was definitively like, oh, that's that is 100 percent a ghost. But when I was in college and uh, I went to school at Tennessee Tech University uh, and was on the um, yearbook staff, newspaper staff, radio staff. The third floor of the university center, which was like the main building that had like the bookstore and the cafeteria and your mailboxes and everything. The third floor was the whole journalism department. And uh, that's where the radio station was. That's where the newspaper and, and yearbook office was. I was routinely we had a weekly student newspaper. And when I was a sports editor, I was routinely the last one done. Um, and so it was my responsibility to take the paper down to the local paper where we got it printed. But um a lot of late nights where it's two o'clock in the morning. I am literally the only person in this building, not even janitorial staff, right. custodians, nobody, there are, there's no one else in this building. And I'd be there, you know, looking over, this was old school, it was the nineties. So it wasn't, we, we did a lot on computers, but not the actual production of the paper was done old school style on like a light board. And you, you would cut and paste and wax these pieces on this. So I'm, I'm sitting there pouring over the light board. And I heard on many occasions the very distinct sound of either change or keys rattling in someone's pocket. Oh, wow. So much so that I would look up and be like, oh, somebody's here. And right. then um, and then and then, you know, it'd be done. Um, but that that happened a bunch that I didn't think much of. But the weirdest thing that happened was one of those nights. I'm the last person out. I leave. I go down. You know, I lock up. I go down. I shut everything down. And I get down to the parking lot and it, I, it looks up on the third floor offices. And there's one time I go down and I get down there and I happen to look up and I see flashes of light. Boof, boof, boof. It's all the computer monitors turning on. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I was I was in the next morning and, and whoever the first person went in, I was like, they were like, did you leave everything on last night? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that was kind of the thing among the journalism department. We'd talk about it. And um, I just remember one of my friends, I'm still friends with her to this day. And I asked her, I was like, have you experienced something? And all she would say was if she was there by herself, she would have headphones on and right. be listening to music. She did not want anything around her. So she, right. so, so that's all I had for um, personal stuff. But I have, I have a close friend who has an amazing story uh, and I have no reason not to believe her. Um, but she, when she was in high school, uh, she's from New Hampshire, was driving home late one night, lived, you know, in a rural area, but not not out like crazy, like, you know, where I grew up in, but a rural area, comes right. around a corner and there's a, a teenage boy standing in the road. 
and uh, runs up to her and like like bangs on the window. And and so she's scared, but she's like, right. you know, he's like he's like, I need help. You need to go for help. Right. So she drives home, gets her dad. They go back and they can't find him anywhere. Oh. Uh, uh, and like nothing in the paper, nothing like that. And so at first you're like, well, that's not like necessarily a ghost story. But apparently right. there was a, a kid that had died there in a car accident, like right in that spot. Wow. And um, yeah, so so yeah, that, that one. That's the sh- that's the shit that's legitimately scary when yeah. physical contact is made and it, the right. the form is not this translucent, shadowy, wispy smoke caricature. It's an actual full body apparition that does not look like a ghost. And yeah. it was obviously close enough to um, interact. It, right, the human form to interact and to call for help. I mean, that's incredible because we a lot of of these video documentaries that are in modern times that are you know supposed to capture ghosts you hear very disembodied voices it's very muffled on the on the 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 receivers that it's you can't really hear what the ghost is saying you know but for something to have a human interaction at that level um and have it be crystal clear as day that's that that shows a level uh that is beyond most of what is shown on uh, most uh, you know documentaries as for uh, the the contact with the living. That's wild. Yeah. And and I think that there's a theory that I find very interesting that I've heard. I've heard it called like a psychic battery or things like that, where a place, oftentimes like near certain types of stone or running water, uh. it that energy imprints itself, and a lot of times it imprints itself because it's a traumatic situation. Wow. So. What is happening there isn't necessarily a a real spirit interacting, but a replay of something that has happened in the past. Right. Um, which is why, like, ghosts will walk through walls. Well, maybe when maybe this is an old house and they've the layout has changed and that used to be a doorway there. And it's right. just it's just a replay of something that happened yeah. and it's just passing through. Right. Um so yeah, that stuff's always always fascinated me. And um, you know, again, I've not seen anything that like concrete, but I had, you know, I had those experiences in, in college that were, that were interesting to me. And it's like, well, the the change rattling or keys rattling, is that a ghost? Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but I heard it plain as day. Right. Right. Multiple times. And it's, and there's no, there's no explanation that I can point to and be like, Oh, that's, that was clearly this making that noise. There's, it is absolutely the sound of keys or change in somebody's pocket. And, there's right, one there. right. That's um, yeah. <laughs> so one of the coolest ones with that interaction that I don't know if you've ever heard of, but um, there's there's one called Resurrection Mary, and she is in the Chicago area, and tons and tons of people claim to have picked up this hitchhiker in a dress, like a party dress. She gives an address to be dropped off to. They right. go to take her to the, a place, and it's Resurrection Cemetery, and they stop, and she's gone. Oh, wow. Uh, that one happens a ton, uh, and there's a there's a really good podcast that I, I know I've recommended to you a bunch of times, and I would recommend to anybody that's interested in this stuff. It's called Astonishing Legends, and they do an amazing job of digging deep into all this type of stuff. And they did a couple parts on Resurrection Mary, and it was it was fascinating and scary, and it was just it was really cool. So I would I would definitely recommend looking into that one because that's one of those recurring ones that I find fascinating. Yeah, and the fact yeah that that 
she's at one location and, and asks to be transported to back to the cemetery. That's wild. Yeah. 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 So um, so that's a cool one. And uh, we, we were talking about we something we talked about. I can't remember again if we talked about it on on mic or not but we talked about those like the time life books and those mysterious mysteries of the unknown those books that yeah. when you were a kid you're like oh man i'd like to get those well yep. at a at a used bookstore a number of years ago i found three of them um and i've got them so like here's the here's the the picture oh, i probably won't because my my background's all i, I played D yesterday so my background that brad gets to look at is a dungeon but but it's <laughs> essentially that um the famous picture of the uh the monks going up the stairs yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have some of these books now, and even though they're very outdated, there's there's still there's something. It's kind of like going back and watching In Search of. Like we we yeah. were talking about that. Brad and I were talking about last night because I, I texted him. I was like, Hey man, all the In Search ofs are on YouTube, and I'm watching the Bigfoot one. It's very outdated, not only from a production standpoint, but but just from you know from from just about every standpoint you can think of because it's so right. far removed. Because that show started in, in '77 and went into the '80s, and of course was yeah. in syndication, but. There's also something quaint and kind of comforting too about those old style productions, whether it's these books or those shows. Right. That it's still it's still fun to watch. Yeah, and I I love the as you say quaintness portion of it because it's yeah not always the the best production. They're kind of feeling their way through to try to come to a plausible answer at the end of these uh, episodes. But you know I watched the Bigfoot one last night as well and. And then I watched another one, which was in search of, but it was, it was in search of Bigfoot, but it wasn't, it wasn't part of the actual series. And that one was also done in the mid seventies. And was also, you know, they, they made references to the Patterson film and everything. So it's, it was good. And, uh, and it was enough of it well done with, you know, they, that was, they actually brought in some scientists and some researchers and some biologists. So there, there's a little bit more credibility to the hunt for it than what was what we normally get nowadays where we're getting the the highest level uh people in their profession going into the woods for a weekend and trying to capture sounds on uh on audio or getting visuals you know a lot of people nowadays put apples out and everything trying to you know spur that interaction and 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 connection with, with the beast but yeah those in search of highly recommended you know they're you know completely not what you would want to watch on a regular basis but there but if you're interested enough in a specific area category creature uh, phenomena they're they're fantastic uh starting points to kind of you know leap off from for other stuff that's out there now yeah plus leonard nimoy yeah of course why not <laughs> um so so there's a couple others obviously the other the other big one there's like those I, what i feel is like the the kind of trifecta of the of the big unexplained stuff and that's bigfoot ghosts and then ufos yeah. And, um, so that one, again, uh, very interesting to me as a kid. And I remember, you know, again, reading the books, taking the books out of the library, catching any shows I could about it. But that one still not quite up as high as Ghosts and Bigfoot for me, for whatever reason, but still obviously fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's the the fear of the extraterrestrial versus the terrestrial, I think, because at least with Ghosts and Bigfoot, we've got some type of documentation, be it through a story or a visual capture, you know, we're, we're always looking at the heavens on clear nights. We, we might shoot at best see a satellite or a shooting star. But back as a kid, I don't recall ever really seeing UFOs, but I do have an interesting story. My, my aunt, who has long since passed, when they were living in Kentucky, were arrowhead hunting uh, in a recently um, 
recent um i'm not sure what the term is for the when you they weren't it was whatever type of field it was they had basically the ground they had used the the machine that basically turns up the soil yeah rototill or whatever so it was it was a good sized piece of land that abutted their property so they were you know out at night and i remember the stories as a kid in my and i whenever we would visit i would always ask to hear the story of and the story never deviated so it was i'm sure she wasn't telling it every single day to make it factually perfect but every time I would ask, every couple of years we would visit, I would go and, you know, they showed me the area where she said she saw a UFO. I don't remember the specifics, if it was cylindrical or saucer-like, um, but she swears, and I believe her, that she encountered by seeing it. And she was the only one at the time in that particular area that actually saw it. So I believe her. You know, I personally have not seen a, a UFO. I, I, again, it's another one of those would like to see it, but my God, I don't want them to see me type things. <laughs> right. But but uh, I, I believed her. And, you know, to this day, I still hold that story as, as uh, a personal firsthand experience of a relative who, who did encounter something that uh, was a phenomena beyond what the average person can wrap their head around. Yeah, yeah. That's not one that I've ever personally experienced anything with. I mean, you see things moving through the sky occasionally, but generally it's it's explainable. It's a satellite. I've seen very clearly here where I live uh, the International Space Station a bunch of times, and it's very easily identifiable. And you can even look up online, and and there's even like an app that shows you if it's visible to you at a certain time. So, so. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that. Um, I, UFOs, I think, lend themselves to. There's just there's hundreds of videos out yes. now of, of, oh, yeah. of UFOs, and some of them you're like, all right, that's interesting, but I don't really, I can't really tell. But then you see some of these, and you're like, I, I do not know what that is. Right. Um, I mean, no. Yeah, no, it's then, and now some like some of the older videos where you're not where it's. You know, the video camera, again, is always kind of shaky or, you know, because back in the day they were using uh, like the old Toshiba or JVC VHS. (laughs) Yeah, the big one on your shoulder. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, we've got cell phone cameras and GoPros, but, you know, I'm some of them are, are, you know, they're they're not elaborate, which bodes more credence to it. Some of them that are out there are too elaborate, too well done this you know, and, and I'm impressed by the creativity of whoever, whatever artists and so forth who are kind of hoaxing these modern day ones because they look pretty damn good. They look like better than what you would see in um, uh, Independence Day of a ship coming through <laughs> a cloud. I mean, that I give them credit, but it's the ones that look not as real as they could be that add more validation and credence to my God, was that a UFO? I mean, it. it didn't do any sort of radical here on the screen and the next thing you know, boom, it's gone into the atmosphere. But it clearly was moving at a, a, a clip and across the sky and it, there was no reason, there was no really land features to gauge it against. This was sure. maybe over a body of water or maybe it was passing you know, over a, a stand of trees, but it, it, it's enough to give you, put the big question mark over it, like that could be a UFO. Yeah, and isn't it funny, you, you touched on something there that I find fascinating. It's almost like if we get footage that's too good, it's immediately not believable. Right. Like, oh, this like if we got like a crystal clear picture of a of a Bigfoot 
or a or a ghost or something you'd almost be like well that's too good that has to be a cgi or something like yes. that and it's funny because with the technology improving and all of us literally carrying you know video cameras in our pockets right you, you would think you would get more and more and stuff like this but it's it's the ones that for whatever reason are a little rougher around the edges that kind of feel more believable right and and you want to it's, it's funny. We, we talked about this at the beginning of the show. It's like we want to be able to see this. We want that, you know, that physical validation. But at the same point, um, if it is too perfect, it, if, it, if that, you know, is that a suit or is that it actually a living creature that's, you know, you know, bending over the bending over the river, you know, cupping water into its mouth? I mean, it, it we're a very need to know society. We're a very click and swipe society. So we need that instant gratification. So it. The ones that are rough around the edges, grainy, do add a little bit more of that element of suspense of, well, that is possible versus the one of the you know, magnificent ship, very elaborate. You can see lights and details and some of the, you know, the, the structure of it is not necessarily spherical, you know, uh, or, or cylindrical, but it is just enough that you can, you know, say that is too good. Someone actually is a designer and they're using some type of vi- video motion Photoshop to get it, you know, perfect on screen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's one. And, and obviously we've had some interesting revelations this year about, you know, with uh, more documents being released by the government and, and about, you know, Navy pilots um, encountering things. And yeah. and then you, you have these other unusual things. Did you hear recently about the, the pilot that reported... Uh, essentially a man with a jetpack on up yes. in the sky yeah right, what the hell? <laughs> yeah that's... Hey, most jetpacks i mean at least the ones that i see here that are over the water have the, that tube that basically it's like a it sucks water in so that yeah. adds pollution so it's water coming out not like fire or flame but i don't yeah and if and the funny thing is i probably should have done a little more research on that but yeah it was like it was a couple of pilots we're saying that somebody was flying right beside the plane, which yeah, what the way fuck? up, way too high for yes, yeah, and yeah. that's not normal. I mean, and, <laughs> and it's a pilot. We're going on the on the premise that he's completely sober, that you know, that he and his uh, co-pilot are flying the plane, and they're just not having some sort of visual hallucination of some person flying next to it. Yeah, what what yeah, what the hell was up with that? <laughs> yeah, and and there's all these crazy anomalies that are like that too. Mexico has a ton of. Uh, reports of witches like actual witches being spotted in the sky and and so and some of it you know it's kind of interesting because it is cultural like remember the um oh shit i can't remember where it was india or somewhere the monkey man back in like the was like the 2000s maybe maybe in the 90s but there was like that whole scare of of the monkey man and then you go back even further like spring-heeled jack in the um in london which was a, a just an insane story and you know, again, that's old timey, so you you never know how much of that is embellished or whatever. But that's a that was like a a creature that looked like demonic and had like springs on its heels and shot yeah. blue fire out of its fingers and yes. all that type of stuff is 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 fascinating. Um, and uh, so there, there's a couple others I wanted that, that I felt were like kind of big, especially in the 70s and 80s that people talked about a lot. You don't hear quite as much about now, um, but I wanted to talk about uh, Atlantis. Yes. Which um, obviously that one that one's interesting because it's got almost a historical aspect to it where it exists in certain writings from from right. a long time ago and, um, you know, was supposedly culturally and technologically advanced 
and supposedly sank into the ocean. And, you know, there's different places where people think they've found of it, like found parts of it. There's uh, like off of Bermuda, there's the, I think it's off of Bermuda, I can't remember, but the, but there's the Bimini Road, which is like a bunch of structures that are underwater. Um, so, yeah, that one always interested me. I didn't really, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think there's enough there for it to really pull me in, but um, but right. the, the idea of a of an entire advanced civilization disappearing is is pretty interesting. Yeah, and and there's been a lot of investigations, modern day investigations, uh, in, into you know where Atlantis is, you know, geographically. Um, yeah. the, I mean, if you look at it from a scientific perspective, you know, any coastal community, they're obviously going to be artisans and fishermen and so forth, and you know, probably enough to be able to survive on the open water heaven forbid you know we've never really gotten that specific data did a tidal wave or an earthquake happen which forced it into the ocean you know there was yeah i mean there's been a lot of speculation but, but in my mind when i think of atlantis it's a it's a civilization that was on some sort of landmass that is now at the bottom of, of of the ocean where in reality, most civilizations that we know are on shorelines that are on riverways uh, or on an island. So, I mean, conceivably, if there was an advanced civilization on a landmass and they had a volcano or they had some sort of natural disaster like a tsunami or, um, or a typhoon or something that would have leveled it or, or an earthquake because they happen to be on a tectonic plate path, that could easily be something that would uh, bring a city to its uh, to its watery grave, d- depending on where it is. But yeah, that's what I've always uh, been interested in, and I'm thankful that there's been a lot of documentaries in more recent times that have given focus to trying to find the lost city of Atlantis. But you know, because it's not a specific creature, which is more the fascination, more of a society. But like you said, the historical you know component to that is that there seems to be enough literature uh, historically you know, in in um, a lot of old writings that a society did exist and then disappeared. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another one that, that ties in with just the ocean and disappearance, that was another big one uh, that, again, you don't hear as much about now, but uh, the Bermuda Triangle. Right. Yeah, that one I remember, that one was one that fascinated me too, because especially you have, I think it's Flight 19, I, can, I can't remember that, I think it's Flight 19, but a bunch of um, American uh, aircraft Right. Uh, Avengers that went missing somewhere in the Bermuda Triangle and have never been found. Um, So the one thing that I I find interesting about is the Bermuda Triangle is apparently if you took any triangulated point of a heavily trafficked both with water surface, you know, boats uh, and, and, you know, large ships and air traffic, if you took any triangulation of a of a pretty large area that has that much traffic, you're gonna see a lot of shipwrecks and a lot of down planes. Yeah. I, so that maybe the Bermuda Triangle doesn't have any more statistically than anything else, but right. for whatever reason, that one kind of became a, a you know a touchstone for for unexplained phenomenon because so many things did go missing in that area. Yeah. Right. And and you know a lot of the investigations since then have talked about rogue waves having taken yep. down a lot of the ships and again a rogue wave could be super high and we know navy jet planes even in the olden um the olden days uh to avoid radar detection flew low to the surface so it's entirely possible 
they it was a calamity of events or planes flying into a rogue wave. Um, uh, but yeah, and then there's a, a lot of speculation as to the electromagnetic yep. uh, uh, structures in that particular area. You know, that's one of those things like I want to believe, you know, that there's something supernatural that has taken ships and planes and 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 just luxury boats and made them gone missing or was it something more natural like a you know uh, a, a wave or a just a terrible cross stream of winds that blows people off course I mean, yeah, or saw, heavy fog that, yeah, that leads fog. To, yeah any any of those things yeah so again one that was was always interesting but it, maybe there's not a ton to it yeah totally yeah uh, all right, we're we're close to wrapping up here, but I um there's a couple other things I wanted to to touch on. There's obviously there's we could do there are literal podcasts. I mentioned Astonishing Legends, which I highly recommend, but there are tons and tons of podcasts that do entire episodes on each or more, you know, multiple episodes on each of these subjects. So we could obviously you know go deep on all of these, but you know there's there's definitely other stuff. The the Chupacabra is obviously yeah. an interesting thing. Uh, the Mothman, Mothman. is a, is a very interesting one. You've got others that are maybe tied to to Bigfoot activity, or maybe they're their own thing, like the the Dogmen, like in like Wisconsin and, and that area, Michigan. There's a lot of reports of those. There's um, uh, I mean Lake Champlain, New York, has its own sort of Nessie called Champ. There's yeah. There's all this different stuff. So um, so you know we we can't really hit on everything with this one, but you know, th- there's just so much of that cool stuff out there. And and the other thing I find very interesting is there are people who will be in, like you and I seem to be open to pretty much all of this stuff, but there are some people that are like, Oh, I, I a hundred percent believe in Bigfoot, but ghosts are bullshit. And yes. that, <laughs> that always fascinates me. It's like, it's like, Oh, this one, this one thing is absolutely plausible, but this other thing you believe in that is stupid. <laughs> right, and, and and kind of the same goes for people who have some sort of angle on a terrestrial phenomena, but do not believe in other beings flying to Earth to pass through or to check it. I mean, yeah, to think that we're the only living species in the universe um, capable of existing or whatnot. Yeah, we're definitely not anywhere near a time tra- uh, space travel. Uh, um, uh, era um, that we're in, but to think that that when I when I when I discuss people, oh yeah, I don't believe in UFOs. Like, okay, next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and there's there's just tons of cool stuff to to explore, and of course the internet now and, and YouTube. There's the, you could you could spend hours and hours on all this stuff. Um, one other thing I want to mention, we talked about in search of, which was obviously you know a great show that that really was. Um, a ton of fun to watch. It continued in syndication through the 80s. I remember watching that all through the 80s. Uh, but we should also talk about briefly um, just unsolved mysteries. Unsolved like, mysteries, yeah. Nine times out of ten, it was missing persons, unsolved murders, things like that. But once in a while, you'd get that, you know, a ghost one or, or you know, UFO one. You'd get something uh, with a little bit more supernatural bent to it. Yeah, and, um, totally. Yeah. And these show it shows you how popular and the nostalgia for these shows, how strong it is that Netflix rebooted Unsolved Mysteries yeah, right. just this year, and there's a UFO episode. Um, and In Search of was redone a few years ago, maybe I don't remember how four or five years ago, maybe even longer. But the funny thing with that was they got Zachary Quinto, who played Spock in the new Star Trek movies, yes. to kind of carry on the Leonard Nimoy thing, which I thought was kind of funny. But well, um, <laughs> yeah, 
So, um, so those shows are obviously hugely popular. And there's uh, there's ones today. You mentioned Destination Truth and yeah. and uh, um, Josh Gates and his work. He's um, yeah. he's uh, he's a ton of fun to watch. He's very charismatic. He's very likable. Uh, I was fortunate enough uh, at Dragon Con a few years ago. He came as a guest, and I went to a Q and A with him. And nice. he was he was great. He's um he he's just his shows. I will always watch and support any shows that he does because I I feel like he approaches it from a scientific and archaeological standpoint, but also from an open minded standpoint. Yeah. And he just goes and does fun stuff. And he's a funny guy, and he's a, he's you know very very charismatic and likable. So I, I absolutely love what he does. Um, there's um. There's one called ah shoot I can't remember what it's called it's like paranormal paranormal caught on tape and yeah. that one kind of takes a look at I, that one that one seems to be all in on believing everything and and I kind of like stuff to have both sides yes. um, but That's it is fascinating cool. to see some of these videos because there's a lot of them that I've never seen that are on there that are really cool so I would highly recommend that one. Um, there's uh, there was a great one that the Sci-Fi Channel had. It was a while ago now, maybe even ten years ago, um, but it was called Fact or Faked, and they yes. would take. Do you remember that one? They would Jonathan take some. Frank, right? What's that? Was that the one with Jonathan Franks? No, he wasn't on that one. I I can't remember. He did something, but this one was one where they took famous like current videos of the time and they tried to recreate them. They had like a special effects person. They had a journalist. They had like a camera expert. They had a whole, they had teams, right. and they would they would take a look at these and they would decide which ones they were going to do, and then they would try and debunk them. It sure. lasted. It only lasted one season, and it wasn't even like a full season. I think they maybe did ten episodes, but I thought it was really well done and really interesting. And it was so cool because there were some of them where they were like they tried to recreate it and couldn't, and right. then there were some they're like okay we think we've done this you know we've, close we've, enough. yeah no okay i do remember that one yeah wow yeah, look for that one that, yeah. that may be on youtube but that one was really well done so there's tons of these shows now and if you're interested in this type of stuff there's there's so much out there to to find great and it's funny because i think a lot of the, these older ones some of these older shows have a little bit more grit to them and will kind of maybe ask more questions of the viewer than some of the ones that you get out today which really cut to the science portion of it yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. I, and I, like I said, I appreciate that. I appreciate seeing, even though I'm open-minded and I, I want to believe in a lot of this stuff, I'm absolutely appreciative of the other, the skeptical yeah, point of view. Totally. Um, yeah. So, uh, all right, cool. I think, I think we hit on all the stuff I was, I was interested in talking about. What about you? Absolutely. No, we, and, and to touch the point, Josh Gates is a huge believer of Bigfoot and he, uh, dedicates, entire parts parts of the series and some of the episodes to the, in the searching of Bigfoot and the Yeti basically and he has come back with inconclusive evidence and yeah, using bi biologists and so forth to kind of validate some of the some of his findings but you know if there's one person who can keep his finger on the on the pulse button of you know keeping that story alive in hopes of because there are a lot of mountain people in in uh in the Himalayas who firmly believe that the Yeti exists and, you know, the fact that they do um, may not just be completely mythological in nature. There's got to be something if so many different populations of people at various locations um, that he's come in contact with have uh, stories that are credible as all hell. And I think you know, if there's one person who, who can do it, Josh Gates will probably be one of the, the Western uh, folks, uh, investigators to bring that really to light and give some, you know, some validation to it. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I like his work a lot. Uh, awesome. Well, cool. I'm, I'm glad we did this one. It's, it's definitely a little different than what we normally do, but I, I think it still falls firmly oh, into totally yeah what this podcast is, and that's that nostalgia and, and fondness for things from when we were kids in the 80s. And uh, I think this this type of stuff, it, it certainly captured our imaginations, and I know we're not alone that, you know, this was this type of stuff was was stuff that a lot of kids our age were, were soaking up and trying to yeah. learn more about. Awesome. All right. Well, I thank you as always, Brad. Thank you, brother. And uh, we will, you know what? Well, let's tell folks what we're going to do next time because um, that way they can they can do a, a rewatch um, and kind of freshen up if they haven't seen the movie in a while. Since it is uh, October coming up and we wanted to do a scary movie as we did last year when we did The Thing, um, we thought we might get to Lost Boys, which is obviously it's one of Brad's favorites. I love that movie too. <laughs> we will absolutely do Lost Boys. But I was looking through a list of movies that were released in 1980, thinking, okay, is there any more 40th anniversary movies we should hit this year? And there's one that we absolutely – oh, I think you might get a, get a cat oh, sighting. Yeah, I did. And there, <laughs> uh, I um, see a specter of a cat behind you. There we go. Yeah, there she is. Um, uh, she's she's big. She's on a diet. <laughs> a little chunk. <laughs> yeah. So a movie that celebrated its 40th anniversary this year and is a – uh, just an iconic horror movie that we felt like we needed to do and we are going to do our patented deep dive review next month if people would like to, to give it a watch is The Shining, yeah. the uh, classic Stanley Kubrick. And there's so much to that movie itself. There's, you know, Stephen King's dislike for it. There's obviously the treatment of Shelley Duvall in that movie. That's that's There's a ton of stuff to unpack around the movie itself right. and then the movie itself. And um, I would also highly recommend watching the documentary Room 237, which is about conspiracy theories that have to do with The Shining. Some of them are just way out there and you're going to be like, this person is nuts. And then there's a couple where you're like, that's a little strange and interesting. So I would highly recommend watching that as well. But if you'd like to, uh, to watch the shining, if you haven't seen it in a while, if you've never seen it, you should absolutely watch it. It holds up beautifully. Uh, and, uh, I watch it. It's one of those that I don't have cable anymore, but like IFC used to have it. And yes. it'd be one of those things I'd be I'd be flipping through and it'd be on and it didn't matter where it was in the movie or what I was doing. I'd probably watch the end. Yeah, of it. Same exact with me. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Quality of the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I've sat and watched the entire thing, so I'm I'm looking forward to doing that. So next month we're gonna check out The Shining, and uh, after that we got uh, we got some other fun stuff that we've we've actually planned out the next few months. So uh, we should be able to stay on schedule and um and keep cranking out a show every month and and coming back and um please do I know um, my buddy Dan uh, Roberts who lives out in California as well he's uh he really has a lot of nice things to say about the show and I know he always works to um let other people know about other you know some of the things that I've been involved with so I appreciate that and you know if you're if you're someone that enjoys this show um let other people know um tell them you know how to find us on the freebooters network our Facebook page um you know the the freebooters website and uh and, and get some other people listening because we know you know this whole nostalgia for the 80s and and people our age looking back on these things we know there's a ton of people that enjoy all the same things that we do and, and like to talk about it so so if you're out there and and you know you enjoy the show let other people know because it helps us out and um but either way, if there's like five of you listening, Brad and I are having fun, so we're going to keep going. Absolutely. It doesn't <laughs> matter. We're going to keep going and, and, and fighting forward uh, each month, which is uh, what we do. And I, I love it. Yeah, I'm having a great time with it. So thank you again, Brad. I appreciate it. Of course, brother. 
All right. We will be back in one month. Until then, we just want to remind you to be really careful. That hitchhiker you pick up may not just be a young lady headed home from a rave. She might be dead. to Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast with Ian Clark and Brad Anderson. We are a part of the Freebooters Network. Check out thefreebootersnetwork.com to listen to all the awesome podcasts on the network. We also invite you to check out our sponsor, Geek Nation Tours, at geeknationtours.com and interact with our Facebook page, ask questions, offer comments, and critiques. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.